Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Good evening. We got to work on this communication thing. Good evening. You've been in quarantine so long, you forgot how to talk. Forgot how to talk. You doing well this evening? You look at the person next to you and say, I'm doing well. You might want to look at them and say, maybe I'm not doing so well. Look at the person behind you and say, you look good. I love watching it because everybody's heads turn around so nobody listens. <laughs> if you got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, this is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, as Miss Lauren said, we are going to start a series on the Trinity. Everyone say the Trinity. Trinity. Well, this is a fun one. This is a fun one. It's not something, it's something we talk about all the time, but it's not something that we talk about all the time. Real quick before I move forward, I do want to acknowledge some gratitude um, to somebody here. So the, the lady who is standing right here singing Open the Gates to open up our service tonight. That is Pastor Natalie Runyon. Pastor Natalie, are you in here? Where's she at? There she is, walking in the back. She's a legend. I have the, I have the, the privilege of being like the co-host for New Life Church with her. We film announcement videos. And she's just awesome. So very sweet that she would grace us with her presence here this evening. Ephesians 4, chapter 1. Are you there? We've we got to work on this communication. Are you there? There we go. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Lord, we love you. We love you. God, I thank you that for the gospel to be true means that here tonight you are pursuing every single one of us. You are coming after every single one of us. You desire relationship with us. You desire to take broken things and make them whole. So Father, I pray that as we engage with your word tonight, would you make it come alive? I pray that this would not be any ordinary night because we can see for a moment that we are getting to interact with the living God. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you have your way in this place? Would you transform us to look more like the person of Jesus Christ? Would you make us new tonight? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe? And if you're with me tonight, say amen. All right, we're doing better, we're doing better. Ephesians 4.1, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, he says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one that belongs to your call. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. The Apostle Paul is going after the unity of the church. Everyone say the church. The church. He's looking at his followers and through the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, Paul is getting after something here. He's saying, look, the body of Christ cannot function with everybody scattered and doing their own thing. You gotta be one people, one church. And he says, look, I need you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. I need you to be the people that God created and called you to be. And I find it so fascinating here that in talking about the unity of the church, in talking about how God's people are supposed to walk, Paul directs the attention of his listeners to the Trinity. He says there is one body, one spirit. There is one Lord, he's referring to Jesus Christ right here, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God, one Father who is over all, through all and in all. He's directing them to the Trinity. Now here's the thing, we start talking about the Trinity by itself in church, it doesn't feel that awkward, right? You know, we kind of start talking about Christ the Son, Jesus, a man. We just spent eight weeks in the Gospel of John talking about this man who is the Son of God, who came, who lived a perfect and sinless life life, who died on our behalf, who rose again on the third day. We talk about God the Father when we talk about creation. We talk about a God who made all of these things and we kind of see a God throughout the Old Testament who might look a little intimidating at times. And then we talk about the Holy Spirit. We sing about the Holy Spirit a lot. We talk about them all by themselves and it doesn't sound that bad. But when we start talking about the Trinity, it starts kind of getting confusing because Christianity or the belief as Christians would be a monotheistic religion. In other words, we believe in one God, one God. And yet we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So for the basis of this series, I wanna set a definition for you. Can we, oh, you already got it up there, ahead of me. A definition for you. The Trinity, okay, is God eternally existing in three persons. Everyone say three persons. And each person is fully God, but there is only one God. Let me, let me break this down real simply, real quick. He exists in three persons, which means this, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are distinct from one another. Which means this, that God the Father is not Christ the Son or God the Holy Spirit. Christ the Son is not God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father or Christ the Son. Are you confused yet? No. Okay. Oh, look at you. You're not, right? Three distinct persons. And all of these persons are fully God. This is what that means, that all the attributes that God the Father has, he's omnipresent everywhere at once. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He's unassailable. 
He's immutable. He does not change. He is perfect. Those same attributes apply to Christ the Son, and those same attributes apply to God the Holy Spirit. You with me? A God who exists in three persons. They are all fully God, but there is one God. In short, we have a God who is one in essence, but three in person. Now here's the deal, when we begin to talk about this, it's like that's all great and all, but what does it mean for you and for me? Now we could spend the next decade talking about the Trinity and still not unravel or break down everything that I think scripture has to offer us. But for the sake of our three weeks, this is what I wanna get at. When you walk away, I want you to be able to understand what function these three persons play in your life as it relates to you as a human being. What functions does God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have to do with you? And this is important because this is the gospel. This is the gospel because all of humanity, every person in this room, every person on this planet, believer or non-believer, was created by God the Father. That's true for all human beings. What makes it different for believers is that we were created by God the Father. We've been redeemed by Christ the Son and we are sustained by God the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Created by God the Father, redeemed by Christ the Son, sustained by God the Holy Spirit. And this matters. This matters because you're gonna have questions in life like, what is going to make you be a follower of Christ for 50 plus years? How's it possible? You look at the world around you and you see that 80% of people walk away from their faith by the time they turn 18. They don't care anymore. It's no longer their parents' faith that they're following, they're kind of doing their own thing. What's the big deal? And what the believer has to say is that the only way I'm gonna wake up when I'm 70, 80, by God's grace, 90 years old, hopefully he takes me home by then, but the only way I'm gonna call myself a follower of Jesus is the sustaining work of God the Holy Spirit. How do I know that I have been fearfully and wonderfully made? How do I know that I'm not just an accident? Because scripture tells me that God the Father knitted me together in my mother's womb. How do I know that I have been saved and my relationship has been restored because of my sin to God himself? The work of Christ the Son. Are you with me tonight? It's important for us to understand the Trinity. And here's why. Because when we are asking the question, who is the Trinity? In essence, we are asking this question. What is God himself like. Next slide. You're with me, buddy. What is God himself like? Now, this is why this is an important question. If this book is true, let's just say for a moment we were to actually believe that this is the authoritative word of God, that would mean that you and I are made in Imago Dei, which means you and I are made in the image of God. So in essence, to study the Trinity and to look, at the under, uh, to look at the Trinity and better understand God is to better understand ourselves. In other words, the more clearly we see God, the more clearly we see ourselves. Are you with me tonight? 
This is why the study of the Trinity is important. This is why we need to take a step back and go, okay, God, who are you? Who are you? You know, there is a divine and eternal gap between knowing about God and actually having a relationship with him. You with me tonight? There is a divine gap, literally the difference between heaven and hell. Knowing about God versus knowing him personally. And this is why we take a step back and we say, okay, what does it mean to be a people who have been created by God the Father, redeemed by Christ the Son, sustained by God the Holy Spirit? So tonight, I want to tackle three simple things with God the Father. Three simple things with God the Father. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to give you three attributes about God the Father. And what's beautiful about this is all three of these attributes apply and are the same for Christ the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They apply. But I think it's important when we start talking about God the Father that we get a pretty decent understanding of who we're talking about. So if you're with me, point number one, God the Father is infinite. Everyone say infinite. Infinite, this is what that means. Genesis 1-1, we get this beautiful scripture that says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. From the very beginning of scripture, we get a picture of a God who stands over all Things. And in fact, Paul takes it further in Ephesians 4. He says he's over all things, he is through all things, and he is in all things. Now, this is what this means. It means that God is utterly independent, which means this. His life and his being is not contingent upon anything. He is self-sufficient in and of himself. He does not need air to breathe. He does not need food to eat. He does not need a, 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 a land, an atmosphere, a guest. He doesn't need it. He's self-sufficient in and of himself. It means that he is constant. In other words, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And before all of my witty people in here start going, well, yeah, but isn't he kind of different in the way that he is in the Old Testament than the way that he is in the New Testament? And is he kind of like full of wrath in the Old Testament and like really mean in the Old Testament and like strike people dead in the Old Testament? And then all of a sudden we get a picture of Jesus and the New Testament, which is completely different from the God of the Old Testament. To be constant means that his character does not change. Which means the same God who is in the Old Testament who holds the standard of justice, righteousness, and holiness is the same God that we see die on the cross in the New Testament. Are you with me? He's constant. He does not change. He is primary, which means that everything else is contingent upon him. Look at me. The only way you can take a breath right now is because of God. The only way you exist in this moment right now is because of God. He created you to be 100% in need of him. Are you with me tonight? He's primary, which means for everything, everything. We live, we exist, we breathe, we function because he allows it. 
He is primary. He is perfect. Truth defined. Beauty defined. There is nothing to improve on God. There is nothing to add to to God. He's perfect. 100%. He is not confined to the limitations of humanity or creation. I need you to hear me tonight. What this means is that you and me will never be able to fully understand or comprehend who God is entirely. Now to a lot of people, that is really discouraging. Some of you, that might be really discouraging. In fact, it might be the very reason you walk away from your faith. A couple months ago, actually probably half a year ago, it was before COVID, that's all I know. I was the pastor on call here at New Life. We have a phone that the pastors rotate throughout the year to, to kind of answer for pastoral emergencies. And I get this call on a Saturday and it's a young adult man and he's saying, hey, I need to come in and I need to talk to a pastor like ASAP. I said, all right, church is tomorrow. Let's talk during first service. He said, okay. He shows up here, we go up into my office. And before we even enter into conversation, he stops me and he goes, look, I just need to be honest with you. I'm really smart. I was like, that's awesome. And he goes, I'm really witty and I can think myself out of any scenario theologically that you're going to give me. I said, okay, why are we meeting then? And he said, I just wanna hear what you have to say. He's like, here's the truth. I've heard the gospel. I've heard them preach the scripture. I know the scripture myself. And he looked at me and he said, but here's, here's the bottom line. I can't fully surrender or give my life to a God that I can't fully understand. And if I can't fully understand him, he's got no business asking me to submit my will or my life to him. So that's a good point. And I gave him a little illustration. I said, let me ask you something. If your car had problems, Would you only take your car to a mechanic who understood an engine only as fully as you did? If your brain had problems and you needed brain surgery, would you go to a brain surgeon who understood the brain only as much as you do? The answer is no, you die. (laughs) Right? Can you hear me? We should be terrified, terrified if we only want to give our life to a God we can fully understand. Terrified, (laughs) terrified. Like think about that. Think about how little you see, how little you know. And if you refuse to follow God because he is not a God that you can totally see and totally know, you are in big trouble. I'm gonna love you so much in saying this statement. I would hate this world if any of you ran it. Woo, this is salty. I would hate it. You know why? Because you don't know all things. You don't see all things. You aren't everywhere. You don't hold all things. You weren't there at the beginning. You are not going to be there at the end. 
If you will only worship a God that you can fully understand, you have made yourself an idol that falls short of God the Father. Falls short of God the Father. Now this can do two things for you. This can do two things for you. Option one, you, beca- you can become bitter. You can become upset. You can, you can be like the child in the corner who's gonna like <clears throat> and say, I don't wanna follow a God like that. I don't like this. I don't like that I can't fully understand him. I'm gonna do my own thing. You can do that or you can wonder and delight in the truth that you get to discover and engage and be in awe of a God that will never get old for all of eternity. Two options, two options. God the Father is infinite. Are you with me so far tonight? Point number two, and this is big. God the Father is personal. God the Father is personal. And this is why this is important because though you will never be able to fully understand or fully comprehend who God is, the gospel still allows you to know this God. This is huge because Christianity is the only religion that gives a God who is completely infinite and completely personal. In Roman or Greek mythology, you have a ton of gods who are very personal. You see Zeus, you see Hades, you see Poseidon, you see Athena, you see Aphrodite, you see, I don't know who else there is, Ares. I'm going back to high school mythology. You have all these gods who who are unique, they're immortal, but they're petty. They argue with one another and in fact have the ability to die. They are not omnipotent, they are not omniscient, they are not omnipresent. So on one side of the coin, you get gods who are really personal, who will engage with humanity, but they are not infinite. They are not over all things. But on the other side of the coin, for many deistic religions, you have a God who is over all things, who wound up the earth, created it, and walked away. And said, I'm gonna let them deal with life on their own. But in fact, we see something different with God the Father. We see a God who is actively engaged and personal with his creation. And we don't just have to have Jesus, though he is the ultimate proof of this, to know this. We look back to the Old Testament and in Genesis three, all of creation is fractured by the reality of sin. And instead of having a God in Genesis 3 who says, you're really screwed up, I'm walking away, we have a God who makes a promise. We have a God who looks at Adam and Eve and says, I'm not gonna leave you or forsake you. I'm gonna send another and I'm gonna make it right. And our proof is in the covenant with Noah. Our proof is in the covenant with Abraham. Our proof is in the covenant with Moses. Our proof is in the covenant with David. Our proof is in the person of Jesus Christ. That we have a God who stays actively engaged, but yet we get this moment in the Old Testament that I find so profound. And in fact, it's a really significant moment because it's the first time in scripture we see a human being give God a name. 
Genesis 16, we have God who's made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that he's gonna give them a descendant. He's gonna give them a baby, but there's a problem. They're old. And old people don't have babies very well, or at least that's what I hear. And so in an act to take things into their own hands, in an act to try and take hold of the promise of God with their own strength, Sarah looks at her husband and he says, why don't you do this? Why don't you take my slave, Hagar, who's an Egyptian slave, and why don't you just have a baby with her? And we'll fulfill the promise that way. And Abraham, being just a strong, loving, loving faithful husband, goes, well, okay. And he has a child with this slave. And instead of going, okay, yes, we're fulfilling the promise here, Sarah begins to look at her slave with disdain. She begins to abuse her. And in an act to save her own life, Hagar flees. And in Genesis 16, we see a God, God the Father, pursue her. He pursues her. And she's barren in a desert with a baby on the way, thinking that she is at the end of her life. And God looks at her and says, I'm not going anywhere. I'll make a promise to you too. This girl's got no business if you're looking at scripture going, wait a minute, she's not Israel. She's not the covenant people. This is not the, the nation that God is, is making his promises. Why is God pursuing her? We see a heart of the father towards a woman he fearfully and wonderfully made who he knit together in her mother's womb. And he looks at her and says, I won't forsake you. In fact, your baby's gonna be turned into a mighty nation as well. And you know how Hagar responds? She responds to God with giving him a name. El Roi, the God who sees. And then she says this in Genesis 16, 13. She says, truly here I have seen him who looks after what? Me. Truly, I have seen him, God the Father, who looks after me. You know, she could have said looks after creation here, who guards the galaxy, the universe, and nation, but instead she lays hold of a God who is personal. Are you with me tonight? He's personal. This is why in the New Testament, the language Jesus gives us for addressing God is Father. As his disciples look at him and they say, hey, teach us how to pray. He says, look at me, when you pray, when you go to commune with the God of the universe, with the Alpha and the Omega, with Yahweh, with the God who is omnipresent, with the God who is all powerful, who knows all things, who is unassailable. This is how I want you to address him. Here, listen to me. I want you to start with these two little words. Our Father. Our Father. Did you hear that? The God of the universe wishes for you to know him as a father. A father. Some of you in here, your picture of a father is terrible because your earthly father has done a really bad job. Or maybe you don't have an earthly father at all. And yet, God is wanting to depict himself to his creation 
as one who is family. Our Father. This is why Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.15, he says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out what? Abba, Father. The one who is personal. The one who's personal. Point number three, don't go there yet if you, if you can't. This is really important for us to understand about God the Father because you can have a God who is infinite and you can have a God who is personal, but it does not mean jack squat unless this God is good. God the Father is good. And I wanna define what good means for us here tonight. Can we put the definition on the screen? Good means this. Good is all that the Father, means that all that the Father is and does is worthy of his approval. All that God is and all that God does is worthy of approval. I'm gonna do the best I can to describe this. We ask ourselves, why would we submit ourselves to a God we don't know is good? You look at the world around you and you say, how do we know that God is good? It makes no sense. And so if we're gonna define good by anything that's worthy of his approval, isn't that kind of a contradiction in and of itself? Like, wait a minute. I get to call you good because you say that you're good. In marriage, that doesn't work. Fellas, hear me, doesn't work. You tell your wife you're good and you're not, you're not. <laughs> but here's the reality, and I'm gonna lean on a precious line from the Incredibles to try to portray this. God the Father is the only one who genuinely in the universe, ladies, listen to me, because I know you're gonna wanna say it to your husbands when you're older, but God is the only one who can legitimately say, I am the greatest good you are ever gonna get. Are you with me here tonight? And here's what I mean by that. If you're going to give your life to an ultimate, infinite, personal God, you wanna know that he's being held to the greatest standard of good, am I right? There is no greater standard of good than God himself. So that anything that God thinks, anything that God is, anything that God does is the best thing for your life. Are you with me? Best thing for your life. And let me tell you why that's good news. That's good news because that means his plan for your life, his plan for my life, his plan for all of creation is based on his character, not ours. Not ours. And if you can remember, because our God is infinite, his character does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the one in charge of giving you new life, the one who holds the responsibility of making you a child of God, I need you to hear me tonight, is not you. It's God himself. And this is why we say that God is good. Will you stand with me here this evening?
I'm gonna skip the next two slides and I want you to go to the last slide, Hebrews 11.1. 1. My prayer for you and for me this evening is that God would give you faith. He'd give you faith. And here's the thing. I think we approach faith sometimes a little funky. The author of Hebrews, he says this, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And this is how I think we approach faith sometimes. This is a little bit beyond most of your generation, but there was a movie called The Wizard of Oz. I don't, <laughs> I heard somebody just say I don't like that movie and I'm in total agreement. That, that movie is like from the pit of H-E double hockey sticks. It's weird, okay? But sometimes I think, I, sometimes I think we approach faith like Dorothy is approaching getting back home. We sit here and we try to put on our red slippers of going to church and doing things right. And we try to kind of, you know, there's no place like home. And we, we, we kind of try to like, it's, it's like we're trying to conjure something up. It's like, you give you faith. I'm, you're gonna believe this. It's like, but if we're gonna have a moment of honesty. We're looking at the world around us. We're looking at the world around us. And a lot of us are seeing a lot of pain right now. We're seeing a lot of brokenness right now. We're seeing heartache everywhere. We're seeing division. And so all of a sudden it starts to feel like we're clicking our heels and we're asking for something that at the end of the day we don't believe is true because we don't. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is he's going, look, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. In other words, you're having to put your faith in a God who you can't fully understand or fully comprehend. And trust that though you do not see all things and you do not know all things, he does. And the apostle Paul says something really significant in Romans 10, 17. He says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the word of God. You know what that means? It means faith is received, it's not produced. It's received. So your prayer tonight is not, how do I have faith? The prayer is God, give me faith. Give me faith. My prayer for you tonight, over the next couple weeks for your life, is that you would see a God who is infinite personal and good who loves you enough to give you faith so as we come before the Lord tonight I want to say the prayer of confession together and what this prayer is is an act of faith <laughs> to come before this God and say that we have confessed that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We are saying this, God, 
I trust that you are the one responsible for taking care and making new my life. It's not in your hands, it's in God's hands. Hear me, those are the only hands that you wanted in. So as an act of faith tonight, if you wanna enter into it with me, I wanna invite you to say this prayer with me. Let's read it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God, I pray that you would give us faith tonight to see you as a God who stands over all things and yet is a God who is pursuing us here tonight. And you're a God that's good. So Jesus, would you come? Would you have your way? Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.